much, uh, Deshara. Uh, thank you so much, Nero, for your, your thoughts, uh, your words, and uh, communion and contribution. Uh, thank you for sharing about your, your own title to, to find a, a, an authentic oasis in God. And, and it's so true that so often we can mistake things in our life for that oasis that's, that's artificial, not really uh, fulfillment or not really authentic. And uh, thank you, Nero, for your words as well. Where did Nero run off to? There he is right there. Right in front of me. Uh, thank you for encouraging us to give. You know, this, this uh, afternoon, I, I want to start off by just reading to you a story uh, some might even say that it's a modern-day parable. And it goes like this. Now, it came to pass that a group existed that called themselves fishermen. There are many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, those that called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and the techniques of fishing. <laughs> year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is to be the primary task of the fishermen. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings for local fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and that everyone should fish. However, one thing that they did not do they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. A board was formed by those who had a great vision and courage to speak about fishing and to promote fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many fish of different colors lived. Also, the board hired staff, appointed committees, and held many meetings to decide what new streams should be considered. But the board, the staff, and the committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, the psychological reaction of fish, as well as how to approach and feed the fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology. But they themselves, as teachers, did not fish. They only taught about fishing. Furthermore, the fishermen produced or built large printing houses and public or published fishing guides. Presses were kept busy day and night to produce materials solely devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and programs to arrange and encourage meetings to talk about, guess what? Fishing. Fishing. Seminars, conferences, jubilees were also established to schedule special speakers on the subject of fishing. After one stirring seminar on the necessity of fishing, two young men left the meeting and went fishing. The next day, the first fellow reported that he had caught a hundred fish. Turned out just to be a fishing story. The other young men actually did catch two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell everyone how he did it. So he quit fishing in order to have time to tell about the experiences to all the other fishermen. He was also placed on the fisherman's board as the person having considerable experience, having caught two fish. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their call to fish and their fishermen's clubs. They even wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend meetings and talk about fishing. After all, 
They were not following the master who said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mark 1, verse 18. Mm. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were not really fishermen. No matter how much they claimed to be, no matter how much meetings they attended, no how much talking they did about fishing, yet it did sound correct. If a person is not fishing, how could they be considered a fisherman? If year after year, he never catches a fish, is one following if he is not fishing? The title of our lesson this afternoon is Fishers of Men. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. You know, I think in a very real way that the meaning of the parable is pretty clear. That so often we can talk about being disciples. We can talk about fishing. We can talk about living the lifestyle of a Christian. And yet, we've got to ask ourselves, is it just talk? Is it something that we're just speaking about? Or is it something that we're actually living out each and every day in our lives? In Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And this will serve as our, our primary text for our lesson this afternoon. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Mm. You know, what an incredible account of Jesus' calling of his first disciples. You know, in a way, this, this is Jesus' first fishing trip. And here he is, and the Bible says that he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret was just really another word for a, a part of the Sea of Galilee. And it was on the, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And it was one of the spots that Jesus would frequent pretty often. And so there he was, and he's standing by the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says that as he was standing there, people were gathering around him to hear the word of God. You know, so cool. Uh, just this past week, I watched uh, our latest good news video of all the good news happening around the world. And uh, recently... Uh, we planted a church in Yonde, uh, Cameroon. Amen. And Logan's very fired up about that. Because Logan's from Cameroon. And uh, in spite of, of heavy rainfall, in spite of all of the, the COVID-19 restrictions that are happening there in Cameroon, the church there, although they started with just a few disciples, had 139 in attendance and had 19 people baptized in a Christ. Is that awesome right there? 
You know, even today, I, I just I just read that the Bagyal ICC in the Philippines was planted, and today was their inaugural service with just 14 disciples. They had 156 in attendance and saw four people baptized in the Christ. Is that awesome right there? You see, when the word of God is being preached, people are going to gather around to hear the word of God. Come on. Well, right here, Jesus is preaching, and he sees at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen. Most likely, one of the boats belonged to Simon and Andrew, and the other boat belonged to James and John. Well, Jesus just so happened to get into Simon Peter's boat. And uh, he, he gets Simon to, to take the boat a little ways off the shore. And he begins to teach the people from the boat. You go, why did he teach from the boat? Why did he preach from the boat? Because they didn't have microphones back in Jesus' time. And the water served as ampli amplification. So Jesus' voice would echo off the water and the crowd could hear him preach the word. Well, here he is. And in a sense, you could say that Simon's boat was nothing special. That is until Jesus entered into it. And so our first point this afternoon is consider the vessel. Consider the vessel. You know, right here, Jesus just kind of so happened to pick Simon's boat. And truth is, he could have chosen anybody else's boat that was there at the lake. In fact, he could have chosen to just not use a boat at all. I mean, after all, he had walked on water previously. And so if he really wanted to go out there and preach from the water, he could have just walked himself out there. Just preach standing up on the water. I mean, you, you, you can be sure that there would be a crowd that would come to hear Jesus preach as he was walking on the water. But he chose to get into Simon's boat. He didn't need the boat, but he got into that boat. Well, you know, I, did some, I did some research because I was curious what, what Peter's boat might have looked like. And although there, there's no record of what that boat looked like in the scriptures... Uh, I found out that in 1985, there was a boat discovered in the mud along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. That boat was dated back to the first century. So, of course, it wasn't Peter's boat, but it was a boat that was similar to the types of boats that they would use back in their time. And I discovered that the boat uh, was measured to be about 8.5 meters long. It was two and a half meters uh, wide. And it was just about one meter deep. And so most likely that's kind of what Peter's boat looked like. And so in a sense, although this was, of course, not Peter's boat, you could say that, that this was the type of boat that Jesus got into. A boat that was pretty big, but, but really nothing inside it but a bunch of emptiness. Oh. And doesn't that describe how some of us are oh. before we have Jesus come into our life? Oh. Well, keep it real. You know, the Bible records that Peter had been working along with his companions all night, but hadn't caught anything. Bro. And then Jesus gets on board, and all of a sudden, they're cranking. Mm. I mean, they go from not catching anything to catching so many fish that their nets began to break, and then to signal their partners to come over and help them haul in the big catch. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you this afternoon, have you brought Jesus on board in your boat consider the vessel you know for me I, I was thinking about my life and uh thankfully this past saturday i was able to celebrate my 16th wedding anniversary now chris I, I wasn't i wasn't married when i was studying the bible i was just about 18 years old and let's just say that i had a lot of things going on in my boat 
a lot of upset, a lot of parting, a lot of wicked things. I studied the Bible and was very quickly exposed for, for where I was really at. You know how it is when you, when you see the standard of what God wants you to live or how he wants you to live? You see that you're not doing everything that he wants you to be doing. I mean, I'll never forget turning to Galatians 5.19, where the Bible just lists out the acts of the sinful nature. I go, oh my gosh, that's my whole weekend. I mean, every single one of those, that's my plan for this weekend. I had so much garbage in my boat. You know, I had been dating a girl for about two years, and I thought that I, I really loved her. But in retrospect, I really loved the things that she did for me. Not, not really her. Because if I had loved her, I wouldn't have treated her the way that I did. Well, when I started studying the Bible, that challenged me to give up my life and to get rid of all this stuff that I had collected in my, my so-called boat. At first, I remember thinking that I had a, a lot to give up. And perhaps, maybe that's how some of us feel too. Man, becoming a Christian is just so hard. There's so much to give up to follow Jesus. And maybe you're like me, and you're looking at Galatians 5.19, you're like, man, I don't know if this is possible. But, but then as I started to send the Bible, I, I started to think about how empty my life was anyway. Mm. Come on, Evan. And I started to realize you can't really empty out if you're already empty. There's nothing Whoa. to lose. Come on. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt, too. <laughs> Whoa. And all of a sudden, I remember my mindset changing. Where, where becoming a Christian was not about what I was giving up, but about what I was gaining. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I, I was sitting there, and I remember counting the costs and really thinking about what I was going to do with my life. And although there were some challenges, there were some serious challenges. I had to break up with my girlfriend. I had to quit partying, quit doing all those things that I was doing. I remember reading the scripture in Matthew 19, 29, where the Bible says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will fail to receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, this is incredible. Not only does God promise us eternal life, but as we give up things for God, God promises that he's going to give us a hundred times more in this life and in eternal life. And, you know, I was thinking about this because I always tell my wife that she's my hundred times more. That although I felt like I gave up a lot at first, I realized God had so much more to give me. And then I look at my life now, 20 years later almost, and I go, wow, how much God has given me as a disciple. Come on, Evan. You know, not only has my life improved with Jesus, but I've been able to do things and accomplish things that I never thought I'd ever be able to do. It's funny, I was talking to Valentina this morning. I was like, sis, or future sis, or just about to be sis. Uh, are you ready to share for your baptism? She goes, oh, I'm a little nervous. You know, I don't like public speaking. I hate being in front of groups. I go, you know, Valentina, believe it or not, I used to be terrified of public speaking. She goes, no way, you? I go, yeah, yeah. It's true. I couldn't, I couldn't even say five things in front of a group. I was terrified of speaking in front of a group. And yet, through the power of God, Jesus coming on board, 
all of a sudden I was able to do things that I never thought I was able to do. You with me right here? You know, it's been said, God turns our messes into messages. He turns our tests into testimonies. And he turns our misery into our ministry. Amen. You know, I, I'm so excited for our three baptisms that we're going to get to see this. Day. And it truly is incredible. You know, I was able to get in there and study the Bible with Nathaniel and Bailey. I, I didn't get to study the Bible with Valentina because the sisters always study with the sisters. Amen. But let's just say that, that Billy and Nathaniel, their boats were pretty full of stuff. You with me? And through the power of God, they were able to take all those things and empty their boats. And today, when they become disciples, when they get baptized, and the Bible says that when we get baptized, we, we, we get buried with Christ. Mm -hmm. That we, we die to ourselves, we kill our old self, we get buried with Christ in water. And when we come up out of the waters of baptism, we're being resurrected with Christ to a new life. Yeah. And when they come up out of the waters of baptism... Jesus has come on board in their life, and they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Consider the vessel. Consider the vessel. Without Jesus, what are we? We're just nothing. Empty. Now, your, your life may be filled up with things. But that doesn't mean that you're living a full life. No. And yet when Jesus comes on board, you get to experience truly being fulfilled through Christ. Yeah. But what stops us from taking Jesus on board? Let's go to our second point. Consider the voyage. Consider the voyage. Luke chapter 5 verse 4. Come on, Evan. Come on, bro. When he has finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. Yeah. And we haven't caught anything. You ever feel like that as a yes. Christian? Yes. Man, I've been working. Yep. I've been working, Jesus. Where are you at? Yep. I'm doing my part. We haven't done anything. Yep, yep, yep. But because you say so, Come on, bro. Yeah. I will let down the nets. When they've done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. You know, right here we find that Jesus gets done preaching and he goes, all right, Simon, it's time to put out into deep water. You know, in a sense, Simon wasn't very fired up about that. <laughs> you with me on that? Yeah. I mean, he'd been working hard all night. I mean, he could have said earlier on right here in verse three, Jesus says, put out a little from shore. He could have said, but Jesus, you told me just a little from shore. That, that's what you said, remember? Now you're asking me to go to deep water? But let, me, let me go back. We'll just drop you off, and then you can you drop me off, and then you can take my boat. All right, you go out there. <laughs> but he goes, because you've said so, I will do. You ever feel like Jesus is taking you deeper? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it opens this. <laughs> You ever feel like Jesus is taking you deeper than what you're ready for? Yeah. 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 It's real. It was funny when I was studying with Billy, we got to a point where, where he, for the most part, repented of everything. And, and he had an incredible heart to just go, you know what? I'm done with the world. I just want to do whatever the Bible says. Come on, Billy. Come on, Billy. 
But when we met up and I was on Zoom and I, I could see that his face was not like the happy Billy face. Like he's a pretty happy guy. Yep. But he wasn't feeling super happy that night. So I'm like, Billy, how, how you feeling, bro? You, you fired up? You ready, ready to go? He goes, oh, I don't know, man. There's something that's been on my heart. I go, okay, well, what's going on? And I asked him if I could share this. He said, well, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a singer. And I actually didn't know how serious he was about singing. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of times people say they're singers and they play guitar in their bathroom. And, <laughs> Come on, Bruno. himself in the shower and throw up on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I produce my own music. So I didn't know he's a serious singer. So he's, he's sharing with me that that he had recorded a song, that they had worked on it, and in his words, it was his best song. And he had already scheduled it for distribution. It was already going to get published, and it was going to go out there. Problem was that there was a swear word in the hook of a song, and he's been trying to achieve so much of his life. But, but there, there, there's this favorite song that he was about to release, and it had a swear word. No. He goes, what should I do? I go, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, really? Yeah, it is. Sometimes we already know the answer to our own question. <laughs> <laughs> I goes, oh, no, I just don't know. Yeah, okay, well, let's look at a scripture. <laughs> And we looked at Luke 18, the rich young ruler, where Jesus says there's one thing you lack. Oh. <laughs> Sell everything and give to the poor. Ooh. Billy goes, man, <laughs> Jesus really does ask us to give up everything. <laughs> I go, yeah, he does. He goes, oh, man, this is a tough one. And he'd already overcome a lot of things, but he was like, man, I think this is like one of my tougher challenges. You know you're a serious singer when you're challenged with that. For the rest of us, we're like, nobody's going to listen to our song anyway. <laughs> and so, a couple days later, he got online, canceled the distribution. He's like, all right, I got to fix this. He went into his producer. Um, I don't know what you call him. I'm not the music guy. And uh, he was working on a clean version of the song. And so he goes, you know, let me listen. He hadn't listened to the clean version before he canceled the distribution. He canceled the distribution of the, 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 the bad version. And then went in to listen to the clean version. He goes, I don't know about this. I don't know how I feel about this. He goes, and the guy goes, okay, well, I made this, but I didn't really work so much on it because, you know, it's just a, it's a clean version. It's the radio edit. You know, this is not the one that people are going to listen to for the most part. Anyway, Billy goes, <laughs> actually, uh, that's the song now. He goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. You were that serious about producing this clean song. So they worked on it together, and Billy got it to a point where he was fired up about his new song. I got to throw a little plug in for my view here. Make sure you buy his song on Apple Music. Yeah! 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 Hit subscribe. Like and subscribe. Billy, Billy, thought, Billy thought that that's as deep as it was going to get. And he, Jesus goes, hey, you got to go a little deeper. I like the shallow end of the pool. No, I appreciate Dylan. Oh, yeah.
isn't just for people studying the Bible. This is also for Christians too. Yeah, Dylan became a disciple back in August last year. A couple months ago, I sit down with him. I go, hey, bro, you, you've got some, you know, real good leadership gifts. Do you ever have like a dream for the ministry? Oh, yeah, you know, I think this is something I'd really love to do like way down the road in the future. I go, awesome, bro. How about next week? <laughs> A couple weeks later, we hired Dylan to be full-time for the Lord. But then Dylan's like, all right, I really got to learn how to do this. I really got to learn how to step up. And he's been working really hard yeah. on stepping up. In fact, there was a couple times where he was leading something and he kind of shied away from it. I go, no, 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 no Dylan. Get back up there. <laughs> Dylan, what are you doing? Get back up there. Don't run away. Dylan could have said, well, I don't have to, to be a leader to go to heaven. I just have to be a disciple to go to heaven. And that would be true. Yeah. You see, a lot of us are cool with the shallow end of the pool. Oh. We like it in there. You, you can touch. <laughs> you can touch. You don't have to tire yourself out of the shallow end of the pool. You don't, you don't have to know how to swim real good. You know, you're not going to get tired from treading water. We like the shallow end of the pool. That's where all the little kids are. They're cute, right? Yeah. They're cute down there at the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes we need to be so content with not growing in our faith as Christians. You know, for me, I, I grew up in Hawaii. So to like not learn how to swim is a crime. And I'll never forget, I, I was about eight years old and I hadn't learned how to swim yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in a, I'm on an island surrounded by water. And I hadn't learned how to swim at eight years old. I don't feel too bad if you don't know how to swim. You didn't grow up on an island. Amen, sis. The Lord be with you. And I'll never forget this. You know, back in back in my day when I was small and you don't know how to swim, you had to wear what's called water wings. And they're these things that you, you wear in your arms. And you blow them up, and they kind of keep you afloat like this. So there you are swimming around like this, you know. And I was eight years old, and I was swimming around like this in my water wings, because I hadn't learned how to swim yet. And some uh, local kids that were about half my age, about four years old, came and saw me floating around my water wings. And, and I'll never forget this. They looked at me, and they go, you don't know how to swim? How old are you? Now, I was eight years old, but as you can tell, I'm a pretty big kid. So I was about eight years old looking like I was 12 years old, which made it all the more embarrassing. And I decided from that very moment, I was no longer going to be a shallow end of the pool person. I was going to learn how to swim on the dang deep end of the pool. You with me right here? How about you as a disciple? Still chilling next to the edge? Oh, yeah, look, I'm on the deep end of the pool. But I'm holding on right here. I ain't gonna let go. Won't let nobody disciple you. Won't let nobody correct your life. I don't know. I just don't trust nobody. I mean, I'm following Jesus. I'm not following men. Yeah, but they're using the scriptures that Jesus wrote. Come on, bro. Do we let people push us? Correct us? Challenge us? Come on, Rich. Thank you, bro. Uh, are, are, we, are we too scared to lead a Bible step with somebody else? 
I don't know. I might say the wrong thing and scare them away. Well, you made it, and most likely the person sending the Bible with you didn't do a perfect job either. But at least we, we, we know we're supposed to be fishers of men, and we've got to help people learn the scriptures. You with me? What about a contribution? Are we, are we giving what's safe? Oh, come on, bro. Oh, I got quiet after that one. I didn't know it was this kind of church. We talking about money in church. Hey, come on, Evan. Money even? That's my place for Come on, bro. That's true, right? Oh, I spent a little bit of money on that. Netflix, coffees, food. What do I got left over? Five bucks? Oh, yeah, I'll give one to God. Oh. Leftovers. Oh, no. Are we looking for that financial safety net in our life? Where we don't have to rely on God? That's why they call it a net income. You can tell most of you guys don't have a budget because you didn't get that job. Come on, Tim. All the old people know. Oh, yeah, net income. There you go. All the young people, net I got no net in my income. I got no net in my income. Peter goes, hey, because you say so, I'm going to let down the nets. What a heart. He didn't need to be persuaded. Yeah. He didn't need to be pushed. He just wanted to go wherever Jesus told him to go. And he wanted to do whatever Jesus told him to do. You know, sometimes we don't want to go beyond our comfort zone because we're waiting around for somebody else to motivate us. Yeah. Wow. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to chill in the shallow in the pool until somebody makes me go to the deep end or pushes me to go to the deep end. You ever want to want to? Uh-huh. Ever been there? I hate that expression. And, you know, I don't really want to, but I really want to want to. What? What kind of foreign language is that? <laughs> I mean, the truth is that we don't really want to obey. We're just hoping that some person or circumstance comes along where all of a sudden those things that we don't want to do, it just changes magically in our heart and we want to do them. Mm. We're hoping that somebody else changes us for us so we don't have to change. I want to, want to, want to, want to. <laughs> so many levels on that. I don't. Yeah. Come on, Evan. But, but do you have a heart like Peter? Yeah. Mm. Because Jesus said so. I will let down my nets. Go to uh, first, Second Timothy chapter two. Come on, bro. Second Timothy chapter two. You guys with me here? Yeah. 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 Second Timothy chapter two. I know there's a lot of people standing up in the back. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for giving up your chair for others. Second Timothy chapter two and verse two, twenty-two. Are we chilling on the shallow end of the pool spiritually? Right here, Paul is talking to his younger protege Timothy. And he says in verse twenty-two, "Flee the evil desires of youth." And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, right here, Paul gives Timothy two different commands, two different directives. He goes, you got to flee the evil desires of youth. Well, what does that imply about those evil desires of our youth? They're, they're chasing after us. And likewise, he says, you have to pursue righteousness, faith, and love. Well, what does that imply about those things? That they're elusive. That we have to continue to fight for them. We have to continue to run after them. Nobody completely gets love. 
Nobody completely gets to a point in their faith where they no longer struggle with their faith anymore. These are things that we have to constantly run and chase after. Come on, bro. But what would happen if you just decided to stand still? To be content with where you're at spiritually. Where you're no longer running. You're not fleeing anymore. And you're not pursuing. Well, then I put before you that your old life's going to catch up to you. You know, I remember when I was growing up, there was a story that was told to me. A true story. About a guy that was about to go do some landscaping at his house. And uh, he was going to do some landscaping and some shoveling and raking and things like that. And so he went down to the hardware store to buy the appropriate tools for his landscape. So he got a shovel, he got a rake, the things at the hardware store that he needed. And he put them in his truck and he started driving his way home. And as he was driving on his way home, true story, all of a sudden a cat darted across the road. You ever have an animal run in front of you when you're driving and you do one of these? Like, oh, no. Maybe it's a speed bump. Well, this guy literally hit the cat. Not his people. <laughs> he literally hit the cat. He's like, oh my gosh, I, I hit this cat. So he pulls off to the side of the road and gets out of the car like, oh gosh, man, I gotta, I gotta take care of this dead cat that I just hit. And so sure enough, he walks over to the side of the road and he sees in the gutter on the side of the road, this cat that's just laying down and is breathing really heavy. <sighs> <sighs> He's like, oh my gosh, I, I hit the cat, but I didn't kill the cat. I just badly injured it. Well, I can't just leave it here badly injured in the gutter. What am I going to do with this cat? So he starts thinking about what he's going to do. And he, he goes to the back of his pickup truck and he, he sees in the back of his pickup truck a shovel. And he goes, all right, I know what I got to do. I got to put the cat up in its misery. So he gets the shovel, walks over to the cat that was lying there in the gutter. Said his last words to the cat. And then very quickly, bam! With the shovel. Yeah, it happened. I'm not going to change the story. It's the true story. Sorry, Helena. And he picked, up, he picked up the shovel, or picked up the cat with the shovel, put it in the back of his pickup truck to take it where you dispose of dead animals. And he went back to doing what he's doing, drove back to his house, and and got back of the truck open, pulled out the tools, started landscaping. And you know, a couple hours later, as he was in the yard working, a, a police officer shows up in his, his driveway. Police officer gets out and he goes, uh, sir. He goes, yes. He goes, oh, you know, I'm trying to put together a couple things myself, but uh, you know, I got a call that you killed some woman's cat. And the guy goes, oh, well, sir, officer, let me, let me explain the situation to you. And so he ran up through the whole situation, went to the hardware store, was driving on his way home, and a cat darted across the road. He hit the cat, wanted to put it out of its misery, and so he killed the cat and put it in the back of the pickup truck, took it down to the place where he disposed of dead animals, and then he went on his way. The officer goes, you know, um, okay, do you mind if I take a look underneath your truck? The police officer gets down underneath the guy's truck, and... The cat that he had run over was up inside the fender of his truck. <laughs> so what happened is he hit a cat. It got stuck to the bottom of his truck. And then he saw some poor woman's cat in the gutter that was sleeping. <laughs> and so you can imagine the horror on this old woman's face as she's sitting on her porch in a rocking chair drinking tea. And a guy just pulls up, gets out of his truck, kills her cat, takes the cat, throws it away, like out of nowhere. So she comes. 
calls the police and the police go after him. True story. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can change certain things in our lives only to find out later on that it's come back up under our fender. We stop fleeing from the evil desires of youth. We stop pursuing righteousness, faith, and love. And all those things that we used to struggle with, that we got rid of, that we thought we were done with, start to creep back up into our life again. I can ask, what's been hiding under your fenders as a Christian? You know, in the church, we have what we refer to as Jews, and we have what we refer to as Gentiles. The religious people and the ones that were more on the pagan side before they became Christians. Both, both were not saved, and both become disciples. Truth be told, though, when we start struggling spiritually, we go back to who we were before we were Christians. Yeah. And so for those of us that were, quote, Jews, the religious people, we go back to being religious, getting into all our traditions, all our, our to-do lists of Christianity, and, and having no heart behind it, and no real relationship with God, just the to-dos, the to-dos, all the self-righteousness to boot. And then those of us that, that were very worldly before we became Christians... We go back right the way we came. Yeah. What, what, what changes? Well, we just took Jesus out of the boat. Wow. And the boat starts to look just like it did before Jesus ever got into the boat. Consider the voyage. We've got to choose to go deeper water, the deeper water spiritually. And our last point this morning, or this afternoon, consider the victory. Come on, consider bro. the victory. On, Luke chapter 5 or 6. Luke chapter 5 verse 6. Bible says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. What an incredible victory. Right here for the apostles. Peter decides to put his nets down. And despite having worked hard all night, the Bible says that when he chose to do so, when he chose to listen to Jesus, when he chose to put his nets down, that he took such a large number of fish in. That it was too much for his nets to handle. And he had to even call his companions over to help him. You know, in 2013, there was a, a, a Bible series that was uh, put out on Netflix. A, a series, of, um, just a documentary of, of what the Bible was like, or all about the Bible. And, and this scene is actually in that series. I'll never forget watching it. It's episode six of the, the Bible series. And uh, this is right after Peter collects this miraculous catch. And Peter looks at Jesus and he goes, how did this happen? What did you do? And Jesus goes, I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish, and I will make you a fisher of men. And then Peter looks at Jesus. He goes, Jesus, what are we going to do? And Jesus looks back at Peter. And he says, change the world. But you know, this was not the only miraculous catch in Peter's life. Turn with me to John 21. We'll close here. Come on, bro. This, of course, is after Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus predicted that all the disciples would fall away on account of him. And so in John 21, verse 1, Bible says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. 
It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Well, what do you know? The disciples fall away, and they go back to who they were before they followed Jesus. You know, the religious people go back to being religious. The worldly people go back to being worldly. And fishermen go back to fishing for fish. And once again, they go out fishing for fish. And the Bible says they caught nothing. <laughs> now, they probably should have found a different career before Jesus called them. But the Bible never records that they actually caught anything without Jesus. Once again, though, when you take Jesus out of the vessel, it just becomes an empty vessel once again. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood up on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that was Jesus. Isn't that a scary thought? That you can drift away from God to the point where you can stop recognizing Jesus. You can stop recognizing Christianity. You can stop recognizing the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible even says only those born of the kingdom can actually see the kingdom. Wow. Something which they, oh, it's just a group of people, just another church, just another group. No, disciples are the actual kingdom of God. But when you start drifting away from God, we don't see things with spiritual eyes. We we see things with our worldly and sometimes even our bitter perspectives. He called them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, not the wrong side. That was the problem. And you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. You know, typically you would do the opposite. You would take your stuff off and then jump in the water. Peter was so fired up, he wasn't even thinking anymore. He goes, Hey, give me my cup. I need my cup. Boom! In the water. He wanted to be with Jesus. The other disciples followed in the boat. Peter, what are you doing? We could have just rowed back to shore. (laughs) Towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. That's a cranking catch right there. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. How incredible is this? They all fall away, go back to doing exactly what they had done. And Jesus, to to remind them of his calling, shows up to them in the exact way that he called them the first time. He goes, hey guys, have you caught anything? They go, oh no. No, we haven't caught a thing. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. Just throw the net on the other side of the boat. Uh, um, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, the water on the left side of the boat and the right side of the boat, it's connected. (laughs) He goes, I know it sounds crazy. Just do it. Okay, because Jesus said so. They throw it over. 
And the Bible says that they took in such a catch, 153 fish. You know, verse 11, it records that their nets were not torn. You know, everything in the Bible was recorded for a purpose, a reason. We know that in Luke's account, their nets began to break. But right here, their nets were not torn. Why? Because the nets symbolized the disciples. That originally, God's purpose was for them to catch men, but they weren't quite ready for it yet. And so as they started to go and collect people for Christianity, they were starting to break, and absolutely they did eventually break and fall apart. They fell away. But at this point, as they took in the miraculous catch, the nets did not break, symbolizing that they were now ready. They had been trained, and they had been put through the test of the crucifixion. And so now their faith was at a place where they were going to change the world. Well, why does the Bible mention 153 fish? You know, some scholars believe that the number 153 represents the amount of nations that were on the earth at that time. Is that pretty cool? Most likely that's not true. <laughs> pretty cool, but not true. However, I think it shows that this moment so was imprinted in John's mind. That as he wrote the book of John, most likely in the later uh, part of the first century, in the 90s AD, he not only remembered this instance, but he remembered the exact number of fish that were caught in that moment. You see, every fish is precious. And we remember every fish we catch for the Lord. Mm. You know, as we close, for me, being a fisher of men, helping other people become Christians, helping other people become a part of the kingdom of God, yes. is the most thrilling and satisfying thing I've ever done in my life. My brother. Yeah. As a disciple of almost 20 years, I, I try to think of heaven a lot. The Bible says, keep the helmet of salvation. I appreciate Nero bringing up my room in heaven. There's a little bit of heaven room envy right there, I sensed. <laughs> Nero's going to be trying to get into my room. No, you get your own room. I'm content with what I have. My room's going to be cranking in heaven. I'm telling you. I'm going to have a hot tub in there. Oh, yeah. Fried chicken? Fried chicken? You get your own room. I got my room. I'm going to have, I'm going to have LeBron playing. Lakers. And I don't know if LeBron's going to make it or not. But, but videos of him are at least going to be playing somehow. <laughs> got, got to work it all out. I don't know how it's going to work. But it's going to work out. I'm going to have a Coke Zero machine that reads my mind. <laughs> I'm going to be chilling in the hot tub, and all of a sudden, I'm just going to think, man, I'd really like a Coke Zero, and it's going to, boom, shoot it out. And I'm going to catch it. <laughs> there, I'm gonna be, that's, my, that's my room up in heaven. <laughs> I'm going to have a door in my room connected to Kelly's room. Yeah! Woo! So the Bible says that there's no marriage in heaven, but that doesn't mean you can't be real cool in heaven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to have you right next door to each other. You know, it's just kind of open the side door and say, hey, what's up? What's up with your room in here? Oh, cool. What you got going on? Mm -hmm. Kelly's going to have all kinds of crazy stuff in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be playing all those romance movies that I would never watch with her. <laughs> 
But all jokes aside, in all genuineness, I, I picture my room having people's pictures all over the wall. Each one a person that I've helped become a Christian. Yeah. You know, I hope that Billy's picture's up on that wall. And then Nathaniel's up on that wall too. I, I want the angry Nathaniel up on that wall. I want the old angry one because I don't I want to remember how he used to be. And how much he had changed. Through his own heart, through his own repentance, through his own decision to follow God. Well, we're going to see people that are here in this room up on our walls as Christians. Because every fish, every person, is precious. And therefore, we remember everyone. You know, today I just want to ask you to consider the vessel. Consider your life. Are you really full? Yeah, you may have a lot going on. You may have a filled life. But that doesn't mean you have a full life. Right. And Jesus promises life to the full. I want to ask you to consider the voyage. Are you in your comfort zone spiritually? Afraid to let people push you? Some of us may be visiting here and just are scared to study the Bible. I was terrified. I thought the Bible was going to bite me if I opened it. <laughs> but it's time to go to the deeper end of the pool. And let someone coach you. Let someone encourage you. Let someone challenge you through God's word to follow God. But finally, let's consider the victory. You know, we're not all doing this just for fun. Yeah. There is a glorious victory waiting for us. Who knows when that time's going to come? But it's going to come where we get to go to heaven. And we're going to be escorted by Jesus. <laughs> to the room. That he's prepared for us. I can't wait to see my hot tub. Eating <laughs> gold. Brothers and sisters, let's be fishers of men. And as it said in that Bible series, let's change the world. I love you. God bless.